Well, again, a very warm welcome to Holy Trinity Clapham uh, this morning. My name is Jamie Mulvaney. I'm one of the service pastors here, and it's great to be with you. Uh, we've just heard um, two extraordinary passages from the Bible. And this morning, what I want to do is to look at the second part of what it means to be loved by God in Romans 8. And Paul makes these fairly ultimate statements. Uh, last week, he said that there's no condemnation. And this week he says that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. But Paul doesn't just sort of make these sort of sweeping statements. He, he mentions the Holy Spirit a lot in this passage, but he also mentions suffering a lot too. And Paul is not naive about the way that the world works and the reality of pain in our lives. And we see in this passage, there's a, a lot of groaning going on. There's three different types of groans. At the church weekend away, I was helping out with a, a 0.5 to 2-year-old children. And there was an amazing symphony of groaning going on. Um, but here in this passage this morning, we see a few other groans happening. The first groan is creation. In verse 22, we look around the world around us today and we see the environment we see what's going on in the world and we know that this is not the way that it's supposed to be is it and then there's the second groan that we groan in verse 23 many of us our bodies are, are creaking and we know that we are not the way that we should be and then there's the third groan and that groan is actually the holy spirit groaning that when we come to the end of our rope in our lives, we can also find that we come to the end of our words. And God comes and he enables us to pray. He prays for us. And while in the moment pain can feel raw and messy and ugly, Paul writes in verse 18, I consider, I consider. And he puts suffering, present suffering in column A present suffering. And then in column B, there's this hope that we have. And he weighs up at present suffering with future glory, and future glory wins. Paul has learned to cope with hope. He overwhelms his overwhelming situations with an overwhelming God. And there's lots of groaning, and there's lots of waiting. In verse 23, we see that we wait in eager expectation. This is like straining forward, like you're sort of waiting at an airport, at a, at a train station, looking for the boards. I, I'm fascinated by airports. Because if you think about them, they're nowhere. I mean, you're only there in order to go somewhere else. And I was uh, recently stuck in Singapore coming back from Australia, and I was supposed to be there and layover for two hours, and we actually ended up having to wait for seven hours. And there we all were, the whole flight together at the gate, and there was a lot of groaning going on there too. And we have our boarding passes in our lives, don't we? We have the first fruits, we have the deposit of what's to come, and we find that we live in the now and the not yet. And Paul seems to get his tenses mixed up in this passage. Last week, he spoke with such conviction about our adoption as sons of God. But this week, he's saying that we're awaiting our adoption. And he says that we have a glory coming, but he also says that we have 
being glorified. And Paul here, he isn't confused, but he's just being real about the fact that, yes, we have the first fruits. That yes, in verse 19, that we are the children of God, but we're not fully revealed yet. When you and I go walking down the street, people don't stop and stare and point and say, there goes a child of God. Being a Christian doesn't make us immune to suffering and pain that all of us experience. But God works in all things. He works in all things. And when I was stuck in Singapore at this flight, the the captain came and he listened to the groaning and he answered questions. And we know that God enters our reality that he prays with us and for us. He is present with us in our pain. I remember um, at a previous workplace, uh, finding a a particular work situation really difficult. And uh, a mentor sort of said to me at the time, Jamie, I think Romans 8.28 is still true. That in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. In all the things, in the things that we see, in the things that we don't see. He loves us to the heights of what we will one day be. And he also loves us in the depths of our present pain. And this is the real theory of everything. The theory that ties everything all together. That God loves us in everything. I've heard uh, Johnny Gumble from St. Peter's Brighton describe how... um, If you want a really healthy relationship, you need at least five things to make that relationship, that friendship really work. And I really like what he has to say. The the first thing that you need is, is, do you feel fully understood? Does the other person get you? Do they find you funny? The second thing that we need is purpose. Is this relationship going somewhere? Are we just drifting? Or is there a sense of direction, a goal in mind? And then the third thing we need is, is there intentionality? Are both of you putting in the work, or is one of you making all the arrangements and the other one just sort of coasting along, being passive? The the fourth thing we need is to be affirmed. Are you being built up? Uh, Is the other person becoming your greatest cheerleader and encourager? And the fifth thing that we need is to feel ourselves, that we can truly be ourselves, to be a better version of ourselves. And we're all looking for these things, aren't we? We all want to be known. We all want to have a purpose. Each one of us wants to be chosen. And we want to feel affirmed, and we want to be able to truly be ourselves. In verse 29-30, Paul uses five words to describe the love of God in this passage. He uses the word for new, for new. And in this age of social media, we are desperate to broadcast ourselves, to be known that other people might know us. Yet at the same time, there's this tension because there's also things about ourselves that we'd really rather conceal. And yet in God we see someone who knows us completely and he loves us completely. Secondly, God gives us a purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined. And this means that for each one of us, we have a destiny in our life. However our life began, however we came into this world, God 
from God's perspective, none of us were a mistake. He looks at you and me and he says, I got exactly what I wanted. I know you, I love you, and I choose you. We have a purpose to be like Jesus and he chooses us for this destination. He chooses you. For those he predestined, he also called. We are chosen, we're not forgotten. And we may have experienced rejection or being passed over in our lives, but there's a God who sees us and knows us and chooses us. He also affirms us. For those he called, he also justified. And we looked at this last week. You may have had all sorts of things spoken over you in your life, but God looks at you and he accepts you. He forgives you. He delights in you because of Jesus. He is your biggest fan, and he is your greatest encourager. And you can be yourself. For those he justified, he also glorified. And this is to describe the the end point of the work of the transformation of the Holy Spirit in us. And when we put our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside each one of us. And at last, we can be ourselves. To not just actually just be ourselves, but to be the person that God always intended us to be, to be like him. And there are relationships in our lives where we can end up feeling flat and discouraged and less. Yet in Jesus, in relationship with Jesus, he enables us to be more, to feel more and to be more, to bring out all the best in us. And he uses this word glorified, which is past tense. And the, the, the previous four words, they've all happened. But we know that our glorification hasn't actually really happened yet. But he uses the word glorified in the past tense because it's as good as done because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And we see the flip side of this in Jesus. Jesus is the all-knowing one who allowed himself to be misunderstood. He's the one with the greatest future who allowed himself to be cut off. And Jesus is the chosen one who allowed himself to be rejected. And the one that was the most deserving of praise and affirmation was mocked and ridiculed. And the glorious one was stripped and hung on a cross in great shame, all because of his love for us. And so in column A, we have present suffering, and in column B, we have future glory. And it occurs to me that Jesus is the one who has fully experienced the reality of suffering and pain. And he is the one in whom God's glory fully dwells. And while we may experience pain now, our future is to know and to share in the glory of Jesus. At the very end of uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, C.S. Lewis writes this about the characters in the book. Their hearts leapt and a wild hope rised within them. And Aslan says to them, the term is over, the holidays have begun, the dream is ended, this is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion, but the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning, 
of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Whenever I um, came back to read this part of Narnia this week, I, uh, I couldn't help um, welling up because, like Paul, we too can say, I consider. And I know so many of the struggles and pains that many of you are going through right now. And I thought about my struggles and my pain as well. And yet we know that the best is yet to come. I'm the only person in my family uh, not to wear or need glasses, which I'm very smug about. And at at my... um, uh, most recent visit to Specsavers, uh, for the very first time, they said that I didn't have 20-20 vision and that I was uh, 0.25 off 20-20 vision. But their recommendation to me was um, actually not to use the prescription to get any glasses because they said that it would make my eyes lazy. Because really the only thing that it would make any difference in is uh, straining to read the signs at railway stations and at airports. And... God wants us to be eagerly expecting him, to be straining forward, to be looking for the future hope that we have, to be hoping in all the ways that he loves us. Brooke Fraser sings this song. I will sigh and with all creation groan as I wait for hope to come for me. For we, we are not long here. Our time is but a breath, so we better breathe it. And I, I was made to live. I was made to love. I was made to know you. Hope is coming for me. Hope, he's coming. Amen.